The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to the Brown Table Talk. I am DC Marshall, founder and CEO of Diverse and Engage, a Wall Street alum and recently named Entrepreneur Magazine, Top 100 Women of Impact. I'm here with my co-host, Mita. Hi, everyone. I'm Mita Malik. I'm a business leader, a DEI executive, and most importantly, a working mother. And woo dee for your entrepreneur recognition. So Thank exciting. you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. And listen, so Mita and I started Brown Table Talk as a place to spill the tea on the hard truths women of color face in the workplace. So from my perspective as a Black woman, and for Mita, her view as a South Asian woman. At our table, we unpack it all. We won't leave any juicy detail out. Then we provide you with tips you need on not just how to survive, but how to thrive in organizations. So Mita, what are we talking about today, my friend? So we're talking about one of our favorite topics, D, which is how to be visible at work and find your voice. I have struggled with this throughout my career, which people find very surprising because I am now in a place where I feel like I'm visible at work and have found my voice. But we have traded so many texts, audio messages, dinner conversations on this topic. And I think it is one of the things that women of color in particular ask us for advice on. And so let's get into it. We'll be leaving you with the five tips at the end, but we've got some stories to share. And you're right, as we've talked about this a lot. And, you know, I think what's really interesting is not only have we talked about it, I love that you're an amazing case study, my friend, that you have done it. So we start, look, we started at the bottom and now we're here. <laughs> So, I mean, you, with all of your accomplishments, being a, a contributor to the top business uh, publications and a LinkedIn top voice is, is so powerful and also why we are doing this. It's so you can generously share how you did it. So in terms of stories, you know, I want you to share share your story. Do you mind? You go ahead. Yeah, no, of course. Story. Listen, we yeah. got stories for hours and hours. I know. That's why you're joining, I know. joining the Brown Table Talk. I'm going to share a story which maybe you've heard. This is a younger version of Mita graduating from business school, very excited to join corporate America. I was so excited about this assignment. I had been there eight months. And one day, my boss, I'll never forget, was wearing a very bright Hawaiian print t-shirt. It was one of those moments I remember exactly. He decided to give me some impromptu feedback and pulled me into a conference room and said the following. We just had a talent review, and I have to say, you're doing good work, but you're a wallflower. No one knows who you are and what you do, and you're not visible at work. You're not going to be a manager, never mind a director here. And I was shattered because I was like, thought I was on track to get promoted. I loved the job, had worked so hard to get into this company. And here he was telling me that forget becoming a manager, I wouldn't become a director. And this company, D, as you know, many companies will hire potential to say, I'm going to hire D now as an assistant, but I'm hiring her because I know she can get to director VP level. And so that was really painful advice. And the coaching wasn't done with 
kindness, but it was done. And I went home that night and had my pint of Ben and Jerry's, which, you know, I give myself one day to wallow and feel sorry for myself. And then you know what? He was right. He was right. I was not visible at work. I was not visible at work. I was the person who was sending too many emails. I was the person who would walk into the conference room and not sit in one of the chairs. I'd sit in the radiator in the back so that I wouldn't be seen because I was so afraid of being judged and I was so afraid of asking questions. But I was there, the lights were on, but I just wasn't showing up in the way I needed to. Wow. You know, I I love, first of all, I cringe at, you know, um, the things that women of color experience in the workplace and the feedback because it's so, I mean, it could be devastating. And luckily for you, you were able to receive it in a way that was helpful for you. And just to take the 10% of what was right or what was good and great and useful and then throw away the rest. But I think a lot of times the feedback is, it's so wrong. It's so bad. It's It comes from a place of bias and stereotype and even supreme majority in the workplace. So I love that you were able to, to do that, my friend. So we're talking about this visibility thing. But you started from there and then now you are like extremely visible and valued. Also, what I would say, Dee, is I left that company. I knew that I couldn't reposition my brand and improve my visibility. It was already set in their mind on who they thought I was. And the piece I really want to talk about, which we don't talk enough about, is the cultural piece, which is I know um, why we decided to do this podcast is my life experience as a South Asian woman and what I've endured and your life experience as a Black woman, what you've endured. And for me, growing up the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents, I was almost coached to be invisible in many ways, which is hard to say, but it is a culture where everybody's an auntie and uncle, your auntie D. We don't call anyone by their name, by their names, just like I have been raising my children. Children are to be seen, not to be heard. You don't question authority, right? You're not supposed to question authority. And then, as my dad used to say, keep your head down, work hard, and stay out of trouble. And then you show up in corporate America, and all of a sudden, you're supposed to unlearn 18 years of how you've been raised. And so I think in many ways, I was showing up at work invisible because that's the the cultural lens in which through I grew up. Yeah, you know, that makes so much sense. And I think about the cultural lens as a Black woman and just the fact that so much of our being, or at least let's just say from one generation to another, is Black women working in the background and working to do the work to get it done and carrying the load. But again, from my mother's generation to mine, just extremely different in working in the background to now we show up bold and unapologetic. And corporate America, a lot of times, does not know how to handle us. In fact, Mita, I think about those two generational things of Black women. Think about Michelle Obama and her mom, Ms. Robinson. And I know you attended and you've been in the space of the discussion that she had about this, she being Michelle Obama, but she talked about the moment she went to her mom and said, mom, I'm not happy at work and what I'm doing. And her mother's response really speaks to what I'm saying here about visibility and boldness from one generation to another. Her mother was more like, you know, uh, suck it up. I mean, you know, we don't have the luxury Do you remember that and sort of the connection? I do, I do, I do. But then Michelle Obama being uh, bold and unapologetic about just showing up 100% in Michelle Obama energy now. So that, from a cultural lens, 
that's kind of what I think about in terms of visibility of from one generation background to now what shows up in the workplace is bold and unapologetic Black women and corporate America not knowing how to respond and often Black women for us really managing around white fragility. Right. What has that experience been like in particular as your coaching clients? Because here's the feedback, you're not visible enough. And then as a Black woman, you do become more visible. And then it's almost like, oh, oh, too visible, too visible now. And it's that dance. It's that constant back and forth. The way of the world and business and corporate and women, women now is just to show up bold and unapologetic. It's just to, you have to. Absolutely. And um, in some ways, you know, not everybody is going to receive it, but in other ways it is you know, what a lot of businesses are looking for. You cannot be timid. You cannot be shy. You cannot be uh, in the background. You cannot take the back seat. You have to take the front seat if you want to win because there are allies and there are leaders, whether it's white majority leaders who are looking for us. They're looking for black women. They're looking for brown women. In fact, you know, Nita, we talked about this, um, but I did an article. I was interviewed for I can't remember who, who, but it was on this very topic about can women of color save or are women of color the savior to business? Time Magazine, we were both in that piece. That's right. So what I'm saying, Mita, is the two of us interviewed in this article on can women of color save the workplace? And I think that article speaks to both sides of this conversation and both sides of the equation as to us being visible and being received and valued. So what say you, my friend, about this this whole idea of visibility in black and brown? Spoiler alert, a woman of color cannot save your workplace culture. And so don't put that burden on black and brown women. And that was a piece that D and I both were in Thai Magazine. And we'll leave that in the comments and the, the notes for the podcast episode. One of the things that the article talks about, the writer talks about, is that more and more companies are looking for their number two to be a woman of color. And you would think, yes, that's a great idea because you want to be focused on diversity representation, particularly getting more black and brown women into those top C-suite roles. But what I am wary of is that women of color coming into those number two jobs, doing all the work and being left in the wings. And for the promise of visibility, for the promise of the number one spot, and then all of a sudden, they're doing the work, they've done the work, they've been promised that role, and then someone else comes in and swoops in. I've seen that too many times. And also, if you're the number two, making sure that you are getting that visibility, that it's not just about setting your boss up for the credit, which we all have to do, but also making sure that you're getting that visibility as a deputy in that role. Yeah, so that's what I increasingly am worried about in these deputy number two jobs. What is the career path? Will you be sidelined as the number two? Who is looking out for you and making sure you are getting that visibility? And recognition. But D, I have this question. We always talk about it because the podcast we had created for women of color, right? As you said, from our experiences to help women of color not just survive, but thrive in corporate America. What about for allies? What about for the white men listening who hear the comment about a black woman colleague? She's too visible, she's too out there, she's too vocal in meetings, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for 
those leaders, or let's just say if we're speaking specifically to allies, I think this is the opportunity for allies to really challenge that thought. And one of the ways to challenge that thought is to swap out, you know, Black or brown woman who's too visible. If she were white male or she was white cisgender female, would you say the same thing? So I think that really becomes a um, sort of a, a way to to challenge the thought. But but that's why allies are allies. They are there to challenge and disrupt bias and stereotypes and and flat out, you know, exclusive behavior. So challenge it and use that as the way to challenge. If she, Black woman, brown woman, were white male, would you say the same? Would he be too vocal in meetings? Would he be too visible? Um, and, and if there is a comparison, you know, a black, brown woman, and let's just say, you know, Todd, Jim's son is the same, bring in Todd, say, you know, well, Todd is, you know, use, bring the case study in and have the conversation. That's the role of allies, really. Yes, it is. I love that advice, Dee. And I think asking open-ended questions is a really good way, as you know, as a top coach, one of the ways to help people discover what their bias might be. So for me to say, what is it that's making you uncomfortable about Dee's visibility? Can you explain more? What are the behaviors or examples? And I think that as people start to reflect and say those things, they will start to hopefully see the bias coupled with, would you ask those same questions or have those same feelings if D was a white man? Yep. That's it. That's it. Heard it here first on the Brown Table podcast. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. All right. So what tips uh, do you have, Mita? Let's let's go into the tips so we can wrap up Round Table Talk. All right. So we're going to do our five tips that we always leave our listeners with. The first tip which I have been practicing now throughout my career. Now, again, we're talking about how to find visibility, how to be visible at work and find your voice. Number one, do not sit in the back row. Please, please, please do not sit in the back row. Um, And this goes for live and virtual. So what do I mean by live? 
get a seat in the front, go early, mix and mingle so you're ready for that meeting. And if it's virtual, show up early, see who's on Zoom, be there first and start to get comfortable with who is in the audience. And it could just be even a team meeting at work, but that's number one. Number two, a trick that a mentor taught me years ago is always be the first to ask the question. So if you are somebody who is nervous about speaking and using your voice, which I have been um, over the years, I will always be in a meeting and I will, when, when it, there's a pause to, okay, any questions or comments? Oh, I'm there. I'm the first one. I'm asking the question. Because when you do that, you kick it off first. You're showing your visibility. No one else is speaking, but here's Mita chiming in. And then also it gives you more confidence to speak throughout the meeting. And number three, practice, practice, practice using the sound of your voice. So part of being visible is showing up physically, but also practicing using the sound of your voice. And for years, I was scared to open my mouth. So if you ask my husband, he will tell you he has heard me practice in the shower, in the bedroom, in an empty family room, on the way, driving somewhere, just preparing what I might say and how I might say it. And it is just like if you were an athlete. Finding your voice doesn't happen overnight for many of us, and you have to put in the work. So, Dee, over to you. What do you have for four and five? Number four, get on high visibility projects. You know, an example might be an enterprise-wide initiative, something that may be coming out of a PMO office, which is a project management office, um, because that gets you really high visibility across organization. And you can certainly lean on allies. Uh, You know, allies are always asking, how can I support or what can I do? Lean on your allies for help in that way. And then another to think about is number five, in a virtual world, being camera ready and be on camera. So to Mita's point about number two, you know, virtually, not just being on camera, but also chiming in in the chat, having a conversation. So camera ready in moments that matter. I can't tell you how, you know, often I've heard from clients that say, you know what, I showed up a few minutes earlier and I was able to have a sidebar conversation virtually. That's where you have your sidebar conversation and it, it, you know, it overflows into the chat. So that is number five. Mita? Well, thank you so much. You heard it here first. Those are our five tips on how to find visibility at work and find your voice. And that's all for today's episode of Brown Table Talk. Dee and I are so honored that you chose to spend your time with us. And if you enjoyed our conversation, please give it a like, give it a share, leave a review, and we will see you next time. Bye.